Welcome to the Compass Catholic Changemaker podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Kano. On this podcast, we talk about how to live with our money as Catholics. Hi, Changemakers. This is Caitlin. All right. So for this week's episode, I've been compiling some questions that have been emailed into us from our listeners. I always love it when you email questions, so go ahead and keep them coming. The email address is podcast at compasscatholic.org, and I answer them all myself. So if you email us a question, I will get back to you myself personally. And who knows, it may be um, the inspiration for another podcast episode. All right, so we're going to start with this first question we have submitted today, and the question reads as such. It says, Dear Caitlin, the city I live in offers a first-time homebuyers program, which provides assistance with closing costs. Would there be moral or practical flaws in accepting this kind of assistance? All right, so that's a really good question. And what I really love about how this person worded their question is they're concerned about the moral and the practical flaws, which means that I feel like their head is in the right space. They're thinking about the full big picture rather than just one aspect or another. All right, so as a financial counselor, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with accepting this assistance for first-time homebuyers. Um, so first of all, it's a completely legal program. Uh, most states have them, and it's a really good way to help first-time homebuyers jump into the market. Cities realize that homeowners generally take better care of their property than renters, and the city benefits because now they're going to be receiving property taxes from owners. So it's kind of like a win-win for everyone involved. So I don't think there's anything wrong for applying for one of these programs if you qualify. But if I were you, I would check into what the program entails within your state. Sometimes they want you to take home ownership classes or you're going to be required to own the home for a certain amount of time. Different states have different programs and those different programs have different rules. What I would say is look into your state's program, see what all the rules are. Because like I've mentioned, they may require that you own the home for a certain amount of time. And if you plan to sell before then, you may owe back some of that assistance when you sell the home. So just know what the rules are, be familiar with them. Um, and to find out what the program is in your state, you can go to HUD.gov and search for home ownership programs by state. But the one question I want you to keep in mind with the real estate market the way it is these days, and we all know it's crazy now, right? Homes are flying off the market. They're, we're in Las Vegas, that's where my husband and I reside, and homes are on the market for like a day or maybe a week at most. They are just flying. So the question I want you to keep in mind is, are you buying now because it's the right time for you? Or are you buying because of FOMO? Are you buying just because you feel like everyone else is and it's a bandwagon that if you don't jump on right now, you're never going to have access to again? Um, so something that happened to my husband and I, we bought our first home in late 2007 in Arizona, right before the last crash. We thought we were being responsible by buying an affordable home. But now I look back at it, and when Andy and I have conversations about it, we look back and we see all the red flags that we missed. 
Now, I, I can't predict the future and I won't predict the future um, for a lot of reasons. But I think a question that you have to ask yourself is, if this same thing happens again and a ton of equity in my home just goes away in a blink of an eye, will I be still content with that house? And if the answer is honestly yes, and you have an emergency savings and you have money set aside for major purchases and you have enough to put down 20% to avoid paying, paying PMI, then by all means, proceed with your house hunt. But if you have an inkling that that dropping home value would make you regret your purchase, or if your finances aren't exactly where they should be, then you may want to hit that pause button. Bring it to prayer and look at your budget. Your home is probably going to be the biggest transaction you'll ever make. Don't rush into it out of FOMO. All right. So I hope that answers your question. It probably answers your question plus some. Um, in regards to those first-time home buyer programs, I love them. I think they're great. Just look into what they require and entail, but also think about what's going on in the market now and decide if you are truly ready to buy a home or if you're just doing it because you have a fear of missing out. All right. Next question we have. Dear Caitlin, do you recommend buying the extended warranties on major household items such as TVs and appliances? So my husband and I just went through this. We just bought um, a new TV for our family room. And of course, they offer you the warranty right when you're at that point of transaction. And generally, I don't buy extended warranties. And I'll tell you why. First reason for my husband and I is that they're really expensive. The risk versus rewards ratio is quite skewed. And you need to remember the retailer is doing this to make money. It's not that they like you or they want to serve you or they want to make sure that you are an eternally satisfied customer. They are doing this to make money. They've learned that it's really rare for a warranty to be used at all. So what you pay into that warranty is just straight up profit for them, right? So really their motivations are profit motivated and not to keep you satisfied as a customer. So when my husband, Andy, and I, when we shop for major appliances, we stick to stores that have a really good return policy just in case the product's defective. And we're also aware of our credit card's purchase protection policy. This may be a perk that your credit card offers as well, so you may want to look into it. All right, so really good question there. And we're going to move on to our third question that was submitted to us. Dear Compass Catholic, does the Bible have anything to say about lending money to family members? All right, so this question was really short. It was um, very to the point, and I have a feeling there's a lot more involved in this question than was emailed to us. So I'm kind of curious um, what the backstory is. But um, just given what I was given in this question, does the Bible have anything to say about lending money to family members? Um, to answer that, I would say um, after going through our, our various Bible passages and just doing some research back and forth, the Bible actually doesn't specifically address lending money to family members. But based on what I've seen, it is very dangerous. If you're going to do this, if you're going to do this for whatever reason, the best way to do it is to make sure that you really talk it over with each other. Leave nothing ambiguous. 
The one issue you really want to address in advance is what happens if they can't repay. And if they can't make a payment, the worst time to decide on consequences is after they've already missed a payment because adrenaline is up, there's emotion involved, um, someone's probably financially strapped and that's why they missed a payment. So that's the worst time to decide on consequences if they can't repay. So just make sure you don't leave anything ambiguous, everything's on the table and put it in writing so everyone understands the expectations. You don't wanna have a loan to a family member damage the relationship if something goes wrong. It's just not worth it. We all know Proverbs 22.7. It's, it's one of the most common Bible passages that we um, go back to at Compass Catholic. And it says, the rich rule over the poor. The borrower is the slave of the lender. That is really strong language, but it's really strong language for a reason. The borrower is the slave to the lender. And having that slave-lender relationship within a family family situation is just not healthy. So your family member who borrows money is going to feel as if they're your servant. And that's hard on the relationship. So personally, Andy, my husband and I, we've already decided that if someone in our family comes to us asking for a loan, in our hearts, we're gifting it to them. We may treat it as a loan, but we won't loan anything we can't afford to gift. It is just not worth it to the relationship that we have with that family member. So just keep that in mind. If you are going to be doing this and going down this route, leave nothing ambiguous. Get it all in writing. Decide on consequences beforehand, before the adrenaline goes up. And never loan money that you can't afford to gift. All right, so really good question there. And we have a final question that was submitted to us. And the question reads, Dear Caitlin, I've heard that you discourage timeshares at Compass Catholic. They must have been reading our old blogs, right? How exactly do they work and why are they bad? All right, so timeshares, timeshares, ugh, timeshares work in a few different ways. If First of all, you can buy a specific week or more of a particular condo or um, whatever the residence is that you're buying into, or you can buy a block of time that floats based on the needs and the availability of rooms. Or the third way you can buy it into a timeshare is you can buy points, and those points can be accumulated and used in different ways. What these all have in common is that you get a deed. So essentially, It's a real estate transaction, and that's because timeshares are considered, quote unquote, real property. One of the downsides of owning a timeshare is that you'll pay a portion of real estate taxes, you'll pay insurance, you'll pay maintenance, whether or not you use the timeshare. Also, those maintenance fees only go up. I've never seen them go down. If you can prove me wrong, email us. I would love to hear that story. But I've only ever seen those timeshare maintenance fees go up. Um, And one of the biggest cons to owning a timeshare is that because they're treated as real estate transactions, they are so hard to get out of. So if you decide you're just not using the timeshare, you're not making your way out to use that vacation time um, or life changes, and maybe you bought it when you were um, a couple without kids and now you have 
kids and it's just too hard to get to that resort in Mexico or wherever you bought that timeshare at, it is really hard to get out of that timeshare. Um, and there are companies that pop up that say they'll help you get out of your timeshare or, um, you know, they'll assist you through that process. Those get me nervous because I see time and time again, they turn out to be fraudulent or their success rate is incredibly low where it's just not worth it. So from my perspective and what I've seen is that timeshares generally don't work out for people in the way they anticipate that they would. I would just personally um, go vacation to vacation, save up in advance, never charge a vacation on your credit card because why come back from a vacation and have to pay it off? That just doesn't make sense. But um, buying into a timeshare, I mean, you are committing yourself for years to come and it's really hard to get out of. And those expenses just go up, up, up. If you have a question that you want answered, please email us at podcast at compasscatholic.org. Like I said, I answer all the emails myself, so I will get back to you personally. And your question may be something that we decide to make a whole podcast episode out of. You have a wonderful week and God bless.